Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I'm Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, back again. It's been, feels like forever uh, since I've been here. It's only missed two weeks. Uh, but of course, it was a week longer than I expected to miss because we missed uh, uh, the week before my vacation as well uh, due to a truly unfortunate illness. I'm telling you, you don't want to catch this like summer flu thing that's going around because it's pretty awful. Uh, but anyway, I'm back now and uh, uh, excited to return. It is session 112, of course. Uh, 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 there we go. Um, and we're going to finally get to meet Bilbo. We got to the we got we saw Bilbo last time, right? The stranger sitting in the corner. That kind of um, uh, interesting little uh, uh, like recapitulation of uh, Aragorn sitting in the corner, right? Um, but uh, now we are uh, uh, we're going to actually get to talk to Bilbo here tonight. But but first, before we do, uh, one com- there were a bunch of comments on the discussion board. I didn't get a chance to talk about all of them here tonight. Uh, but um, uh, one, uh, this was from Net, uh, which I really uh, appreciated about the Elven seating arrangements. She really kind of brings together here some things that I'd been kind of wrestling with, but I didn't really think through them clearly enough. And I thought this was really good. Uh, So she says, a couple weeks ago, we were looking at the seating arrangements for the feast. I've been puzzling over this and have a couple points I'd like to add. A suitable chair, as well as meaning one suitable to his size, I've always taken to mean one in a suitable location to make Frodo feel at ease. He's not seated next to Elrond or Arwen in one of the places of highest honor. I've always pictured that he would be near the foot of the table. Still a place of dignity, but not one where he would feel conspicuously out of place. The seating arrangements seem to me unusual. Picturing the seating, it seems to be a blend of medieval and more modern, in our sense, practices. A medieval hall would be be arranged high table, lord and lady in the middle looking out, with suitable guests and retainers arranged to the right and left in order of descending importance. A mid-18th century table would be head of household at the head, with the male members arranged to his right and left in descending order, lady at the foot, and the female members arranged to her right and left in descending order, with the four men and women of least importance, usually unmarried guests, meeting in the middle. A later and more familiar arrangement is head of household at the head, lady at the foot, with alternating sexes going round, still in order of descending importance. So you might have noticed, so, uh, you know, for instance, this is, uh, if if I'm recalling correctly, that last is the kind of seating arrangement uh, that you would see on things like, um, uh, uh, what's, uh, wow, I'm suddenly blanking, um, uh, Downton Abbey, that's what I was thinking of. You know, uh, but places where you see, like, early 20th century or, or late 19th century formal seating, right? Or like at a, uh, at, at the, you know, table arrangement, you know, seating arrangements in a, in a, in a, in, in a Jane Austen uh, story or something like that. Um, anyway, okay. Uh, Elrond's seating does not fit any of these patterns, as she points out. What seems to be the arrangement is seating along both sides of the table, so there are some there that are sitting with their backs to the other guests in the hall. Presumably, Gorfindel seated at Elrond's right is one of these. The foot of the table may be ceremonially empty, as Calabrian, the lady of the house, is absent. Arwen is not seated at the foot, as she is not the lady of the house, but instead placed in the middle as the unwed lady of the household. 
However, she is set back with a canopy, etc., reflecting her importance. The guests are then arranged in order of descending importance from Elrond. Um, now, this is really great, uh, and I, 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 I really appreciate this. One of the things that is most, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, Ned has really put her finger on here, I think, is how sort of mixed this is, right? Arwen is seated like a medieval lady, really, right? Um, it's with the canopy and everything, and she's seated in the middle of the table, um, presumably with her back to the wall, right? So that she is looking out over all of the guests, right? And again, that was the medieval model with the lord and lady, their backs to the wall, and looking out over the, all of the guests with people, nobody sitting on the other side of the table from them with their backs to the hall, right? Only the guests at the high table would only be facing outward towards the hall, and then everybody else sitting at tables. Also, you know, the same kind of seating arrangement that you see at Hogwarts, for instance, right? The, 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 the teacher's table is a, high, is a high table in that medieval style, right? With, uh, with the Hogwarts headmaster sitting in the middle, right? Um, so Arwen's seating does look like that, right? Um, but Elrond is sitting at the head of the table, which is a much more, as she says, a much more modern take, right? Uh, and usually assumes a table where you have people sitting on both sides. And indeed, that does explicitly from the text seem to be the case. Uh, Elrond is sitting at the end of the table, uh, and he has somebody sitting on his right and his left. So she's right. Presumably, there are people on both sides of that table, which means that some of them have their um, uh, have their backs to the rest of the guests. Now, one of the things that I think that this re- suggests to me uh, is that there is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how confident I am in this conclusion, but my it's one of my first thoughts anyway. Is that perhaps this suggests that the. The Elven, for all the fact that there does seem to be an order of of precedence and everything here, as we discussed, I don't think that that. Or, it seems at least very likely that um, there's. It's it's a little bit more egalitarian, perhaps egalitarian egalitarian in the sense of I mean there is the high table clearly right it's Elrond's table and Arwen is there um and the the highest guests are seated there but it's not separated it's not set aside in the same way that the high table you know at a lord at a medieval lord's feast would be right where you have the one high table often set up on a you know on a dais and and everybody else down on the floor um like like the house tables in Hogwarts right um it doesn't seem to be set up like that. There doesn't seem to be, you know, it seems to be instead several tables, all of which are kind of equal with people sitting down both sides of each of them, right? Um, so there is no, like, facing the room in the kind of magisterial way that the high table used to be set uh, to face the room, right? Not the same level of sort of majesty, if you see what I mean. Um, there's no... There, we don't get any sense here of somebody other than, in, to, to, a, to a lesser degree, Arwen, um, somebody sitting there and sort of like looking out over the crowd, right? right sort of, you know, somebody who is there and, um, uh, and, and sort of surveying uh, the room, really. They're just... They're all at tables. Um, and again, this is the most important table in the sense that the most important people are sitting at it, right? Um, but it's not; doesn't seem to be set aside from the other tables 
in the same way. Uh, if it is, it's really weird to have people with their backs to the crowd, right? I mean, if it is a high table up on a dais and half of the, like, because if you did that, you couldn't even see Arwen, right? Because she'd be blocked by the wall of chair backs and the backs of people's heads, right? As they were, as they, you know, had that row of people. So it's just, that would be a really strange kind of arrangement. Um, Now, Lincoln, I agree with you. I'm not at all uh, trying to undermine the fact that there definitely is, uh, you know, Tolkien's world is not an egalitarian world, and and I'm not trying to sort of make that argument uh, 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 exactly. What I am pointing out is just about the room itself and the 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 and 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 the tables themselves. So, okay, uh, so let me. Uh, yeah, I don't know that there is a table that is up on a dais, right? Um, I don't think it suggests that there is. And the seating arrangements, uh, as Ned is pointing out, would seem to argue against that. But anyway, back to the other point, which I know you guys were really interested in, um, uh, which is that um, Arwen's position right and what this sort of suggests about Arwen's position um normally you know as net points out the foot of the table you've got the lord of the house at the one end and the lady of the house at the other end that's traditional um it doesn't mean necessarily that Tolkien would adopt that tradition so i'm a little bit i'm a little bit leery of drawing too many i mean i kind of like the idea that you know, Calabrian is still considered the Lady of Rivendell, and so, you know, her seat is being left empty in perpetuity, uh, you know, ever since she sailed for the West. Um, that's kind of lovely. Uh, you know, I have no problem with that idea. I'm just a little hesitant drawing that conclusion because it's super indirect, right? Or rather, I should say, that reading relies upon an, an assumption, or kind of almost a presumption, actually, that Tolkien is using that particular uh, tradition. But I'm not confident uh, making that assumption, and the reason I'm not confident is that we see so much variance, right? Um, the Arwen thing and the canopy thing, like, nobody sits under a canopy. You see, 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 see anybody in Downton Abbey sitting under a canopy, right? That doesn't happen. Um, so it's clear that we're not just using, like, you know, 18th or 19th century, um, you know, formal arrangements wholesale, right? It's clearly, there are, there are alterations being made, and so therefore... Maybe it's not a th- you know maybe the foot of this uh, of the table isn't empty. If the narrator had actually said that, right? If the narrator had actually pointed out that there was an empty seat at the foot of the table or something like that, then I'd be all over it, right? Um, that reading, I mean. But uh, I, um, I, I really don't see a very good. Um, uh, I, I really don't see a very good sort of justification. Um, for, uh, 
uh, for definitely concluding that. But uh, but as I say, I think it's a I think it's it's a lovely idea. Okay, fourth thoughtless. It does say it's up on a dice. That's really strange. Okay, that just makes it harder for me to imagine. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it if it had mentioned it mentioned that or not. If it is, then what's up with that? It's just strange. It's a strange, strange mixture. Because again, the 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 seating on the one side of the table makes is designed for that. Right? It's designed for seating up on a dais. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's just weird. I mean, maybe it's just weird, right? Maybe that's the maybe that's the conclusion. It's just an elf thing, uh, and we don't understand. Maybe it's a. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't really know. Um, so. Yeah. Um maybe it's Arwen's thing and uh uh and 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 not Elrond's. Yeah. Here's the thing that I then come back to. If it's up on a days. Arwen is in Arwen is in the position that, like, the royal position, right? Now, you still can't get around the fact that it's weird that there are people sitting on the other side of the table. I could imagine Elrond not seating himself up in the middle for some reason, right? I don't know. It's such a strange half-and-half thing. So, Ned, I guess in some ways... Thinking about it more, I'm like now more confused than I was before. Perhaps, darn it, fourth thoughtless. I could, I, I, I wasn't sure that the text explicitly said it was up on a dais. I kind of wish it didn't. If it didn't, it would make more sense to me. Oh well. Um, yeah. Oh well. Because that, without a dais, I can make sense of it. I can make sense of it. See. Tony, it sounds more like a round table ish thing. Yeah, that's totally how I was preparing to read it, right? Um, but um, no, no. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Harneth is just quoting it. There it is. Um,. Toramarthen, it is possible that there are people at the ends of the table with their backs to the room, but a gap in the middle so that Arwen isn't blocked. Um, that I can see. That would make sense to me. Um, it would seem to isolate Arwen in a kind of weird way, right? Because, of course, one of the purposes of having people seated on both sides of the table is to facilitate conversation across the table, right? Um so it'd be a little bit weird for Arwen alone to have no interlocutor, right? To have no, uh, you know, there's like this cleared space so that everyone can behold her, but she has nobody to talk to except for the people on either side. And even there, she's sitting in this canopy affair, right? So uh, it would be sort of isolating. Um, and it would look a little bit strange. I mean, if I would think, right? I mean, so here's Gorfindel, right? Seated at, at, at Elrond's right-hand side, which is on the one hand, the seat of great honor, right? At the right hand of Elrond. And on the other hand, 
like really kind of strange is he's like one of the only people sitting with his back to the whole rest of the room, right? Uh, in some ways, if, if there isn't a whole row of people, you know, down to Glorfindel's right, it makes it even weirder, right? I mean, I, wouldn't you feel self I feel really self-conscious being there, like, uh, you know, uh, sitting, in that, sitting in that seat. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> we need to do a reenactment. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's reenact the seating arrangement. I agree. Uh, maybe we'll do this. So we, uh, they were talking at Middlemoot that we needed to do. We did remember we that was the, our first reenactment was at Middlemoot last year when we did our reenactment of the of the uh, uh, the attack on Weathertop. Can you believe it was only a year ago that we were all the way back on Weathertop? Um, but anyway, um, so uh, we'll. Um, uh, I know, that feels like forever ago, <laughs> Bongsman, doesn't it? But yeah, that was one year ago in August, uh, that, uh, or October, rather, uh, that we did uh, the, uh, the, the Weathertop uh, stabbing reenactment. We're talking about doing another reenactment this year, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what else we have to reenact, but I think maybe we found it. Maybe we have found it. Um, we, will, we will attempt, perhaps, to reenact the seating arrangements uh, in Elrond's house, because now... Now I, I, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just confused. So, um, but yeah, but anyway, I still want to thank you for, for, for clarifying some things and really, uh, kind of, uh, drawing the terms out, um, uh, much more, much more clearly. So, all right, uh, let's, uh, 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 let's move on quick. First, before we move on back to the text, I forgot to do announcements because I've, it's been three weeks and so I forget how to do everything. Um, just a couple quick announcements. First, the fall semester at Signum starts on Monday. So it is almost time for the fall semester uh, to begin. Uh, so just a, just as a, as a reminder for folks, there's still time to sign up. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet and if you want to audit uh, our new course on Germanic legends and everything, there's, there's, there's uh, plenty of opportunity or, or want to participate as a discussion auditor in any of our other courses, in any of our courses, um, then you're welcome to do that. But uh, as I say, classes start on Monday. It's still technically possible to sign up uh, to, to jump into the courses uh, for a couple weeks after that, but obviously easier to begin at the beginning with everybody else. Um, so that's this coming Monday. Uh, we do have our, the next Mythgard movie club is Watership Down we're going to discuss the new uh, Netflix Watership Down uh, series uh, on September 5th. So Thursday, September 5th, uh, we'll be talking about Watership Down. I've been excited to talk about this series since Christmas, which is when it came out. I remember it came out on Christmas Day, which I think was a terrible idea uh, because I was like... uh, or Christmas Eve, maybe. Anyway, whatever. It was an awful idea, whenever it was, because I was, like, stuck at, you know, my mom's house all day long <laughs> with the extended family, like, waiting until I didn't, you know, and then binging it when I got home at, like, 11 o'clock at night. Um, but anyway, so uh, really excited to talk about uh, uh, Watership Down. Uh, and as I said, it's going to be Thursday, September 5th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and a reminder about our two moots that are coming up, uh, Middle Moot and New England Moot, both happening. New England Moot happening on the 29th of September 
and Middlemoot, of course, which I was just mentioning, happening on October the 12th out in Iowa. New England Moot being located in Amherst, Massachusetts. You can go to signumuniversity.org slash events and find the information for all of these. And in particular, wanted to emphasize that there, uh, the, the call for papers for both are still open, um, but they're only open for about another couple weeks. So uh, I do urge you to, uh, uh, to uh, get... Uh, get into that. So, um, all right, cool. Um, so I almost forgot to do that, but did not totally forget. So that's good. All right. Let us jump back into the text then. All right. So we've just saw Bilbo sitting in the corner. Elrond went forward and stood beside the silent figure. Awake, little master, he said with a smile. Then turning to Frodo, he beckoned to him. Now at last the hour has come that you have wished for, Frodo, he said. Here is a friend that you have long missed. The dark figure raised its head and uncovered its face. Bilbo, cried Frodo with sudden recognition, and he sprang forward. Hello, Frodo, my lad, said Bilbo. So you have got here at last. I hoped you would manage it. Well, well, so all this feasting is in your honor, I hear. I hope you enjoyed yourself. "'Why weren't you there?' cried Frodo. "'And why haven't I been allowed to see you before?' "'Because you were asleep. "'I have seen a good deal of you. "'I have sat by your side with Sam each day. "'But as for the feast, I don't go in for such things much now, "'and I had something else to do.'" All right. Uh, Lots, of course, to talk about here. Uh, Our first reunion back with Bilbo again. Um, Uh... And yeah, so New England Moot is on the website, by the way. Just wanted to clarify that. It is on the events page. New England Moot is totally, there's totally a page for that. Uh, So just wanted to make sure people have been signing up, been getting registrations already, registration open for both, actually, Middle Moot uh, and New England Moot. So just wanted to emphasize that. Um, Okay. So, um, yeah, several people commenting on the uh, bizarre... um, uh, bizarre lack of uh, interest in feasts by Bilbo, right? Um, couple things that I would emphasize here. One is uh, that I um, uh, just a general caution, which I've given on many other occasions as well. The associations between hobbits and food which is so prominent in the mind of modern Tolkien readers is, I think, a little exaggerated. Um, uh, It was something that, you know, the film did really fun things with, right? And that helped in some ways. Um, But Hobbits aren't all about food. Uh, Like, it's... It's less of. I mean, I'm. I'm not saying there's no. There's nothing there, right? I'm not saying that there's no sources uh, of the the ideas that people have about hobbits and food. I'm not saying it comes from nowhere, but I am saying that it's. Um, uh, I I do think that people tend to exaggerate that or, or sort of isolate that element of hobbitdom 
right? And uh, give it a, 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 to me, I think, slightly disproportionately large uh, emphasis. Um, it's just not, I think, we don't get that many references to it in the text, right? And we get some in talking about Hobbit culture and everything. Um, yeah, exactly. Lady Shmabuak, food is part of their culture, but not the main thing uh, about their culture. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Their culture certainly does not revolve around food. Um, no, no. And even, you know, the... I Think about some of the, the sort of the fun passages in the film, right? Where, uh, in, you know, in, in the films that this was... Uh, um, where this came up, right? There are some of them which I actually find a little bit vexing from a textual standpoint, right? And my least favorite uh, is the Weathertop one, right? Where, like, Merry and Pippin and Sam give them away to the enemy because they were, uh, you know, frying things on the open fire, right? They Like, they, they, they were... And I don't know, I mean... It works in several ways in the film, but again, it's just like the idea that they are so caught up in, um, you know, making, you know, nice, tasty bacon that they, like, you know, uh, lose track of their dangerous, you know, the the danger that they're in and stuff. It's just, it doesn't, um, it doesn't really work. And they do have tomatoes, Tony, which is an issue, I know. Uh, But anyway, it's, um, it's just not... um, it makes me think of that past. So, the Zimmerman script, uh, when Zimmer, you know, when you know, so this guy, right, was going to do a, a a film adaptation and, and sent the manuscript or you know the 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 um, uh, what do you call it screenplay right to Tolkien uh, to comment on. Um, he um, there was this one place, and it was in. Uh, it was in Isengard at the scene where Merry and Pippin are reunited to the rest of them. And the filmmaker wanted to have them eating really long sandwiches, like enormous, you know, subs or hoagies or whatever. Um, which <sighs> Tolkien thought was ridiculous, right? And he made this really derisive comment uh, about... Uh, you know, like why, you know, uh, uh, that, that it was just completely ridiculous that they'd be eating really long sandwiches. And he's, and he, and he expressed, um, like, um, uh, he expressed huge, like confusion. Like he could not even understand what on earth the person was thinking of Zimmerman. Like why, what, what, what possibly could impel you to want to give them comically long sandwiches. And the thing is, I think that, you know, Zimmerman was seeing the same thing that many other people do. Like, he was sort of catching that same spirit, and when he wanted to have a little comic relief, he wanted to give them a little comic relief by having them eating enormous sandwiches, right? Um, uh, So, anyway, um, it's... um, Anyway, long and the short of it is, I don't think that it is. Ne- we need necessarily see it as super deviant 
that Bilbo doesn't attend, doesn't go in much for feasts anymore, especially if we think that the quantities of food involved are his primary motive, would be his primary motivations to attend a feast, right? Now, we are told, as someone was reminding us early on, that he is still punctual for meals, right? It's not like he doesn't eat anymore. Um, uh, you know, he's not like, you know, Ransom and that hideous strength subsisting only on, on wine and bread anymore. I mean, he, he goes to meals, right? He, he, he enjoys meals. But feasts, he doesn't go in for feasts. Uh, he, um, I don't go in for such things much now, he says. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, J.J., I agree, feasts are far more than merely food, and in some ways it's interesting. In fact, it makes it seem even more odd, right, that he wouldn't go in for those, right? You'd think if he attended any meals, the feasts, Wiggy would be polite, to attend the feast, right? Like, I'm gonna... You guys are getting together to celebrate a special occasion? Yeah, whatever. I'm skipping that, right? I can't be bothered. Um, would seem to be a, like, slightly aggressively um, impolite at worst, right? Um, uh, inconsiderate, right? Indelicate kind of approach to things. Um, anyway, it's... Um, it's just sort of interesting, right? So sort of interesting to see uh, that he doesn't do this. Now, I agree, he does have an excuse, Biotrom. You're right. Um, Villar says he's old enough to not care about offending people. Yeah, though, I mean, it's kind of hard to play the, put the, play the old person card in Rivendell, right? Uh, but, you know, nevertheless, I guess, you know, once you're once you're well past 111, right? You know, when you're when you're starting to push 130, maybe you feel like you can play it anyway. Um but um yeah, yeah. Um yeah, JJ says, as someone who enjoys a dinner party with friends but can't stand large events like wedding banquets, I can sort of sympathize. Yes, and JJ, that actually is the way that I take it, right? Um, that he is not into big ceremonial, he's not into the pomp, right, of these kind, and that, you know, he doesn't want to be in the big crowded room and at the long table, right? Um, uh, he, he, and he does have other things that he would rather be doing. So, um, so yeah. Now, Crownless, I agree, we do have his birthday party, right? Um, uh, oh, hey, sorry, storied past welcome. Uh, I've been watching on Twitter, of course, as you've been catching up. Uh, so congratulations on, uh, catching up. That's great. I'm glad you could join us. Um, anyway, um, so, so, the, I mean, there, there are the two factors here, right? The one is that, uh, uh, Bilbo has, uh, uh, it, it has something else to do. The other you know, maybe that he's a little more introverted now than he used to be. Um, yeah, exactly. Lady Shmebulok, that's, I kind of, I'm tempted to read it that way. I am. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, but, um, and I had something else to do. The thing is, I mean, how urgent was that, really? Uh, 
as somebody who has done a certain amount of last-second prep uh, before a performance, I can readily believe that he, you know, feels that he wants to perform this poem tonight uh, after the feast, and so, you know, he can't afford to actually go to the feast. Um, you know, that's... um. Uh, that's also perfectly legit. Tony thinks that uh, it's uh, it's also Bilbo being cheeky, which is quite possible. Um, and Tony, that was this that was the reading that I was just going to suggest because especially if you go back to what Elrond has just said to him, um, "Awake, little master," is the part that I'm particularly interested in because. There are a couple ways in which you can take that. And I'm thinking of Little Master in particular. Um, Little Master. One usage of that phrase is like that's what you would call the three-year-old child of, you know, a noble or wealthy family. Right. Um, oh, there's the little master. Right. I don't think that's necessarily how Elrond means it. Right. But I can't help but think that one way or the other, what he's saying there is kind of teasing. Right. If he means master in a much more respectful, um, like they call Tom Bombadil master, or uh, or even in the respectful way, uh, Tony, as you point out, that he calls the gaffer Master Hamfast. Right. Um, uh, if uh, even if you take master in that way, to be calling him little. I mean, he is little. Like, I'm not saying he's not, right? But still, it's... Um, my objection isn't... And I want to make sure it's clear. My, 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 I don't have any objections. Uh, my comment is not about the significance of calling him master. My, my comment is on the word little, right? I mean, there's no way in which there's... It, it, I, I, it is impossible for me to read that as purely flattering, right? As just a polite form of expression by Elrond. Um, I'm not saying Elrond is being rude. I'm not saying Elrond's being a jerk. I'm saying exactly, Matt. I'm saying that Elrond is trying out some hobbitry. I'm saying that Elrond is, has been around Bilbo for long enough uh, to know not only the way that Bilbo talks to other people, but also how Bilbo appreciates being talked to. Right? I, I, yes. So I do think that Awake Little Master uh, is teasing him. And possibly... In two different ways, both by addressing him as Little Master and possibly by saying awake uh, in the first place. He seems to be asleep, right? Maybe he is and maybe he's not, as he's going to argue. Um, but one way or another, I think that um, uh, it's this seems like a good-natured uh, piece of, of, of teasing, of hobbitry uh, on... Uh, uh, on, on Elrond's part. So when Bilbo responds and says, presumably still in the hearing of Elrond, right? He and Frodo, you know, Frodo then leaps forward and the two of them are talking, but Elrond is still standing, right? There's no reason to think that Elrond isn't still hearing this, right? Um, so 
you know, for him to, you know, uh, uh, you know, say, uh, um, as for the feast, I don't go in for such things much now. Um, and I had something else to do. Um, could be a, 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 you know, just as, uh, just as we insult our friends, um, uh, you know, in order to show our affection, maybe this is a deliberate piece of impoliteness uh, by Bilbo towards Elrond. Uh, again, in that same kind of friendly tone, uh, and maybe in a sense to get back at him for the awake little master comment earlier on. Um, uh, yes, Tony, I too imagine Elrond standing aside and laughing while observing the reunion. I think this is a fun exchange for everybody. Um, and certainly, um, you know, um, Elrond's second statement, awake little master, he said with a smile, then turning to Frodo, he beckoned to him, right? So he makes this gesture, right? Now at last the hour has come that you have wished for, Frodo. Here is a friend that you have long missed, he says, with all of the air and tone of somebody Pulling back a curtain, right, or uh, or 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 whisking off a a, a a a cover or something, right, to reveal the surprise that's been awaiting. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, smiling fond- fondly, Iwendillian, absolutely sure. Um, um, <laughs> JJ says, fine, just for that, I'm going to sing a song about your dad. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Bilbo is also, you know, preparing his own, you know, bit of cheek uh, for later on. It's a different thing, right? Um, but, um, yeah, but but anyway, certainly, exactly, there is some pageantry. There is some formality there, Valoria. I agree with that. Um, but again, I think that the, the, tone is, the tone is friendly. This is all about fun. This is all about joy. This is all about friendship um, in every direction here. And Elrond, I think, is really included in that. And so, to me, it's very charming uh, to think that Elrond and Bilbo, uh, that their that their relationship has elevated to the to the level of banter. Right? I mean, that's that seems to be a good thing. And, I, and honestly, I don't know that I would expect any less of Bilbo. Right? Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, y- you know, Tony, I could easily believe that Elrond doesn't mean tra la 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 I bet he takes a turn. Why not? Um, yeah, good. Um, <laughs> I love Bilbo's first sentence to Frodo. So you have got here at last, he says. (laughs) I just love that. Um, uh, Wonderful thing to say to someone whom whose bedside you've been sitting at, right? Who barely survived, who you know made made it to Rivendell under the most perilous and adverse circumstances of anybody ever coming to Rivendell, right? And so you've got here at last. Now, of course, he's also saying you've got here like to this room at last, like. You know, you 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 waited. You you know, sat around long enough at the feast, didn't you? Right. I've been sitting here waiting for ages. Um, uh, you know, b- both of those meanings, I think, to you have got here at last, seem to me to uh, to to apply. Um, but um, yeah, exactly, Mike. I'm I'm thinking of it both ways there. 
but um uh but anyway yeah i i i i think um uh oh storied past that's a really wonderful point uh storied past is recalling uh in the jackson film when aragorn reaches helm's deep after dying or practically dead, everybody thinks he's dead right and legolas's words on seeing him are you look terrible right um that, yeah, I actually really like that too. There's it, 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 it doesn't quite capture the pure hobbitry, um, but it's close, right? I mean, again, I, in general, I sort of like the attitude there. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah, I, I I I really like that. So you have got here at last. I hoped you would manage it. Um, I I hoped you would manage it. Again, what a what a wonderful way to sort of um, uh, downplay the horrible danger and anxiety, right? I hoped you would manage it, right? But, you know, you did fine. Well, well. So all this feasting is in your honor. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Um, <coughs> oh, man, Green Great Dragon says, I hope he's not talking to the ring. What would he said, so you have got here at last? Yeah, no, I don't think he's talking to the ring. That is a super creepy idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, super creepy idea. <laughs> but I don't think so. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, these are very Hobbit kind of understatements. Uh, Tony, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but Laurie says it's like Midwesterners saying, saying hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Frodo's questions. Why weren't you there? Very sensible question. And why haven't I been allowed to see you before? Of course, the most interesting word, I think, in that sentence is allowed. Right? Why haven't, as like Frodo's immediate response is, why have I been prevented? Surely, you know, why wasn't I taken here right away? Right? Um, and exactly, Tony, it was a conspiracy, right? This does suggest some kind of conspiracy, perhaps. Um, though Bilbo's response is straightforward enough because you were asleep. I've seen a good deal of you, right? Notice how Bilbo immediately deflects this by kind of teasing back at Frodo, right? Well, if you haven't seen me, it's not my fault, right? It's your fault. Who's the one who was sleeping this whole time, right? You, not me. That's why you haven't seen me. Um, I've seen a good deal of you. Um, I have sat by your side with Sam each day. So Bilbo does assure Frodo, like, I haven't just been neglecting you. It's not that I couldn't be bothered, right? Um, uh, I have seen you. You haven't seen me yet. So, but of course that he's he's also sort of not answering Frodo. Frodo knows he's not asking why 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 wasn't I seeing you while I was comatose, right? He's asking why wasn't I taken to you right away? Like everybody knew that I you know would have wanted to see you as soon as I woke up and was up. Why you know or like why didn't Gandalf run and fetch you right away when we were instead of having this long conversation with me, right? Um, um, yeah, so, um, the, the, the Frodo's question would seem to be, why has it been so many hours since I have been out of bed and no one even told me that you were here? Um, and there, of course, uh, that seems to be, um, the, 
cons- the conspiracy, right? Um, but Bilbo's not apologizing, right? Um, and not sort of blaming it. You know, he's this. It, it was. It seems clear that it was a surprise. You know that they they have arranged this surprise. Um, Elrond's elaborate introduction shows that he's clearly in on it, right? Um, everybody has been waiting for this moment, and they've arranged it for Frodo so that it is like the culmination of the feast, right? It's like the final, the 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 gift at the end of the the feast in his honor, right? Um, and even the question there. Um, so all this feasting is in your honor, I hear. I hope you enjoyed yourself, right? Had he been reunited with Bilbo at the feast, he wouldn't have been thinking about anything else, right? Um, he probably wouldn't even have noticed Arwen sitting there. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah, so exactly, Mike suggests a double purpose, right? Uh, a, a fun surprise for Frodo, and Bilbo gets to finish his poem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, good. Um, huh, that's a really interesting point, Fourth Dauntless. Fourth Dauntless is saying, with Gandalf and Elrond in on this surprise, it makes me wonder if the feast and the celebration in the Hall of Fire are part of Frodo's healing, friendship and cheer to drive out the despair in Frodo's heart. Yeah, no, he doesn't seem real despairing when he wakes up, right? Despair doesn't seem to be that present of an issue anymore. I mean, which, of course, just suggests that things are going well. But but I think it's a really interesting suggestion, Fourth Thoughtless, right? Remember Elrond, who's doing the... who is, you know, pulling aside the curtain here, right, on the surprise. Uh, you know, he's the one flicking on the light switch for the surprise party, right? Um, uh, he is... Also, Frodo's doctor, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, it's certainly part of the overall, um, uh, of the overall sort of atmosphere. I think that you know, it's wholesome and cheerful uh, 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 sort of friendship. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Biotrom suggests he's increasing the joy step by step and, and not all at once. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, now, um, uh, MJ Nairn uh, on the Twitch chat was asking, why did Aragorn never mention it? Um, A great question. Uh, Does Aragorn have, like, does he know that... I can't imagine that when Aragorn meets Frodo in Bree, right, with the Black Riders right outside town and, and, and everything else that they have to worry about then, and then walking through the wilderness, that he is, like, first and foremost focused on the conspiracy to surprise, to give Frodo a happy surprise when they get to Rivendell, right? But similarly, I also can't imagine that his primary focus is on chatting about Bilbo either. Um, and you know, yeah, so I think that he's, yeah, I think that he's not thinking about Bilbo and Frodo's reunion. I think he's going to, but he's not, he doesn't, why should he talk about Bilbo? Why should it come up? Um, what's the reason for it coming up? Um, and for Thoughtless, you're right. Uh, he says, no telling when Aragorn was last in Rivendell. Um, Bilbo might not even be there right now, for all he knows. 
Yeah, no, I mean, he probably can assess the fact that Bilbo has taken up more or less permanent residence in, in Rivendell, so I doubt he suspects that Bilbo has departed. Um, but I... Um, I think that it doesn't seem to me that odd that it never came up. And if you're wondering, wouldn't he maybe use that as a piece of encouragement to help keep up Frodo's spirits when that seemed to be an important issue on the journey, right? Um, like, hey, you know, your Uncle Bilbo, let's get to Rivendell because your Uncle Bilbo's waiting for you. Um, I mean, yeah, I can kind of see that, but at the same time, that doesn't seem to me to be necessarily, um, um, that doesn't seem to me to be necessarily a good move, a clear move. Um, their motivation to get to Rivendell, not the problem, right? Um, they're keeping up their hope, uh, is more the issue. And, Hey, Bilbo's and Rivendell doesn't seem to me to be calculated uh, to do that. Um, JJ points out that Bilbo could be dead by then. Sure. I mean, yeah, he's quite old, right? So um, it, Aragorn might consider it imprudent to make promises that he doesn't know for sure, right? What the status of them is. And uh, Mike also points out that Aragorn as Strider is in secret keeping mode. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that also, I, you know, why doesn't he mention Bilbo? Again, why should he? he Gandalf established his credentials, right? Um, I guess it just doesn't seem to me that odd that it, that, that it would never come up. Aragorn is kind of, it's an intense time, even though it's, it lasts for several weeks, it's still a rather intense time. And Aragorn is rather focused on the, uh, uh, the time, uh, um, the time at hand. Now, MJ Nairn points out that um, he does imply that he knew Bilbo. I don't think that he's concealed the fact that he knew Bilbo um, because, as MJ points out, um, he says he never knew that Bilbo translated the poem about Gilgalad. Um, um, when Sam says that Bilbo wrote the Gilgalad poem that Sam recites, um, Aragorn says he didn't make it up, right? He must have translated it. I never knew that. Right. Um, so he's certainly not being all like Bilbo who. Right. Um, so I don't see any reason to think. I don't know. Like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if it never came up. I would equally don't think that. Is there concrete reason to believe that he never said he knew Bilbo? Right. I mean, um, he might have done. He might easily have done. Um uh, yeah, Catriona points out that he knows that the land may have ears, and it's not a good idea to broadcast Bilbo's whereabouts when the enemy may overhear somehow. Um, yeah, sure. Now, ex Strider in secret-keeping mode. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so uh, revealing information to Frodo, even information which might seem innocuous. I agree, Catriona, it's a really good point that the whereabouts of Bilbo Baggins, who is being hunted for by the enemy, is perhaps not a topic for idle conversation. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, uh, 
Yeah. Edith Eldora is uh, wondering if maybe Aragorn assumed that Frodo knew Bilbo was in Rivendell, so he wouldn't even say it. Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm i sort of inclining more and more to that um, way of thinking, uh, uh, Carita, that the, the whereabouts of any given Baggins is strict need to know and Frodo doesn't need to know. Um, yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. Hey, let's do another slide. What were you doing? Frodo asks, very naturally. Why sitting and thinking? I do a lot of that nowadays, and this is the best place to do it in, as a rule. Wake up indeed, he said, cocking an eye at Elrond. There was a bright twinkle in it, and no sign of sleepiness that Frodo could see. Wake up. I was not asleep, Master Elrond. If you want to know, you have all come out of your feast too soon, and you have disturbed me, in the middle of making up a song. I was stuck over a line or two and was thinking about them, but now I don't suppose I shall ever get them right. There will be a, such a deal of singing that the ideas will be driven clean out of my head. I shall have to get my friend the Dunedon to help me. Where is he? Elrond laughed. He shall be found, he said. Then you two shall go into a corner and finish your task, and we will hear it and judge it before we end our merrymaking. Messengers were sent to find Bilbo's friend, though none knew where he was or why he had not been present at the feast. Um... Good. So, Storied Past is asking, would that imply that Bilbo wasn't allowed to write to Frodo to tell him his whereabouts? You know, the post is not exactly secure. Not only we know the post is not super punctual into the Shire from outside, right? We've already encountered that. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, um, I bet Gandalf would and El, you know that Gandalf and Elrond both would probably have counseled against Bilbo writing letters to Frodo, which could be lost or intercepted or um, keeping both Bagginses where the good guys know where they are and the bad guys don't know where they are um, is, I think, clearly part of uh, Gandalf's strategy here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and Mike, I agree. I, I also get the feeling that there wasn't a lot of idle chit-chat on the trip. In fact, Mike, the only idle chit-chat that we hear about, Strider squashes on, right? We do hear the hobbits chit-chatting among themselves, and the times that we get are Strider telling them to shut it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, th that's why I don't find it hard to believe that it never came up, right? Um, but yes, Galandar, the issue going the other way, right? Not just worrying about the discovery of Bilbo, but thinking about um, Bilbo's relationship with the ring, right? Um, Frodo, we know that Gandalf is concerned. Frodo has the ring now. Bilbo gave it up to Frodo. Um, you know, Gandalf says, as far as I know, Bilbo alone in history has ever actually done it, right? Which means they don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. They don't know, is this going to be, is he going to go through withdrawal, right? Is there going to be, um, uh, 
what would be the impact? And now, like, encouraging Bilbo to write letters to his nephew might seem innocuous enough, right? But there's some pretty good reasons to think, you know, maybe a clean break is healthiest for everybody, right? That doesn't seem to me to be a big stretch. Um, exactly. He's been in ring bearer rehab for a while, Lady Shmabuak, and you don't, you know, you don't, don't encourage them to, you know, stay in touch with the bartenders, right? Uh, yeah, no, seriously, it's, it's, uh, I, that makes a lot of sense to me as well. Um, The sitting and thinking comment um, is another reason why I'm thinking that he's kind of uh, teasing Elrond here, right? I don't go in for such for, um, I don't go in for such things much now, and I had something else to do, right? I had something which I had I had I had a previous appointment which took um, uh, which took precedence over your feast. Right, uh, urgent the urgent business of sitting and thinking. Right, I couldn't be bothered to attend the the. That's like worse than rearranging my sock drawer. Right, I had to sit and think. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he says, "You've all come out of your feast too soon." Right. After saying, uh, you know, in that, you know, his first sentence, so you've got here at last, it sounds like he could be saying, like, boy, you took your sweet time at the feast, right? And now he's saying, you guys, you guys came out too early, right? You've, di you've disturbed me. And now, you know, he, he, here I was enjoying the, having this room to myself. And now, you know, here goes the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry, I'm not saying that rearranging your sock drawer is not a super important task. I don't mean to imply that. Um, anyway. I've never been 100% sure what to do with the sentence, there was a bright twinkle in it and no sign of sleepiness that Frodo could see. That is... Was he asleep? Because, okay, so, like, there are a few options here, right? Option number one. Bilbo was not asleep at all, right? Elrond knew he wasn't asleep. He was just thinking, right? He was leaning back there, and his head was down as if he were sleeping, but really he was in a deep meditative state contemplating his art, right? Thinking about his poetry. Um... I'm not going to say that's impossible. I mean, I know how my deep meditative states end within five minutes, if I were to assume that particular posture and think deep thoughts in that particular way. However, um, the narrator seems to suggest, or rather Frodo's impression, is that um, there's no sign of sleepiness in his eyes. So he wasn't asleep? We're buying this? Frodo's buying So, Frodo seems to buy it. Are we meant to buy it as well? Um, yeah, I, I mean, Johannes, I agree. Frodo does know him, right? 
Um, it is also possible that he's been caught sleeping in here before and they're still teasing him about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Yeah, Forthala says, I'm perpetually skeptical of Bilbo's truthfulness here, but I have no evidence to support my skepticism. Yeah, the tone of this entire exchange leads me to be dubious of like almost anything that anybody says, right? I mean, everyone is clearly joking and teasing here. Um, and so what Bilbo says is exactly what he would say, um, is exactly what he would say if he had been asleep, right? Um, whether he's asleep or not, that's what he's going to say. Especially in response to awake little master, right? Um, he's responding explicitly to the wake up indeed, right? He's responding explicitly to the awake part, right? But I think he's implicitly impl- replying to the little master part as well. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, uh, I, um, yeah, so Trifle, Trifle says that uh, uh, some... I'm, I'm going to go with Frodo doesn't know if Bilbo's joking or not uh, as well. Yes. Um, and here's another thing. Frodo does know Bilbo, but Frodo hasn't seen Bilbo for 17 years, and in the last 17 years, Bilbo has been changing since the ring, since he does not have the ring. Um, now, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Jez, I do think the narrator would leave us feeling dubious. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I don't have any, uh, problem imagining that. And if we get back to, um, if we get back to the narrator question, right? That is the question of who is narrating this section. I'm saying Frodo. This is a Frodo uh, piece. And imagining Frodo as narrator makes it even more likely, it seems to me, right? Um, That Frodo is... Frodo as narrator would be highlighting the kind of banter and joking tone and kind of uncertainty of the whole thing. Bilbo is at least playing it off pretty well, right? Um, the, the, the bright twinkle in his eye, right? Um, either means he wasn't asleep or he wasn't, he's passing it off really well. At the very least, he's being very, uh, um, very sort of witty and vivacious at the moment, right? Um, See, Johanna says it's the no sign of sleepiness that Frodo could see that seems to him like an odd thing to emphasize if it's not meant to tell us something. I agree. But notice what it doesn't say. It is odd, right? But that's exactly the oddness that makes me question it, actually. Um, If what the narrator was trying to tell us is 100% Bilbo was not asleep, if that's the point, 
then he could just tell us that. Or he could be more direct than he is. He's being indirect in that statement, right? He doesn't have to just tell us that Frodo cannot see any signs of sleepiness. He could just tell us there were no signs of sleeping, of, of sleepiness. He doesn't say that. He just he st- says instead instead that there was no sign of sleepiness in his eye that Frodo could see. Right? He could just say, Bilbo didn't look sleepy. But he doesn't say that. He says that Frodo didn't think that Bilbo looked sleepy. Right? So what we're getting is the, an emphasis placed on Frodo's perception of Bilbo. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Yes, and uh, Kate, I think that's a really important point. Um, the, one of the, the sort of bigger picture conclusions to draw from the whole tone and shape of this discussion that's happening here, um, both to Frodo and, invo- you know, triangularly, right, involving Elrond out the, out of the corner of his eye as well, right, um, does establish Bilbo as being totally at home in Rivendell, right? Bilbo is not just a guest... Right, he is not, um, you know, merely a lodger. Um, he he is at home here. Um, he is accepted by Elrond, and he accepts Elrond and treats Elrond uh, like a friend, like he like Gandalf. Gandalf is the only non-Hobbit that we've yet seen anybody acting this way with. Remember when we were talking about that scene with the stone troll, right? Um, the scene when the scene when Aragorn was trolling the hobbits, remember um, when we were talking about the the joking there and how he teases Merry and Pippin, how Aragorn teases Merry and Pippin um, in that the whole setup with the uh, in in the stone trolls glade um, is is a, is a really interesting sign, right? One of the first signs that we get of this real kind of camaraderie growing among them, right? Um, but uh, but here we're seeing that already well established with Elrond himself, right? Uh, to show that this is not a, um, you know, Bilbo is not just tolerated. He's not treated merely politely, um, and he's even understood to the extent that he is being treated like he likes to. Tre- he has been treated as a friend, like he likes to treat uh, his friends. Um, so yeah, I agree. Matt emphasizes he's not only at home, but he is an intimate with the great and good of Rivendell. Uh, this is no mean thing, given that Elrond is held in awe by all, by say all of Gondor. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, uh, it, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. But it also shows it tells us something about Bilbo. But it does tell us something I think about Elrond as well. Right. Uh, don't forget the tra la la lolly. Right. This is not a stiff house. This is not a um, uh, the house. Remember, always first and foremost was homely. Right. Uh, and it is still homely uh, in that uh, in that sense. Uh, yeah. Tora Marthen likens it to saying me and King Arthur were pals. Right. Yeah. It is a little bit like that. Um Biotrom says, is this whole chapter from Frodo's perspective? Yes, so far, with the possible exception of that one paragraph on Arwen, which uh, we were opining is totally Findigil, uh, King's writer. Um, still love that that theory. But um, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, exactly, Green Great Dragon. He's as kind as Christmas or as summer, depending on your edition. Yeah, he, he's, he is kind. Um, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you have disturbed me. In the middle of making up a song, there's a little pause there. You have disturbed me in the middle of making up a song. Um, he pauses there, right, as if to sort of leave that. You have disturbed me. I mean, if he just stopped there, if he put a period at that point, right, um, that would have been seriously rude. Oh, come, seriously? Come on, I thought I, I, you know, I booked this room for sitting and thinking, right? And now you go, oh man, right? Um, but, you know, so he, he he draws it out there, right? He comes up to that. You have disturbed me in the middle of making up a song, right? I'm just, I'm telling you what I was doing, the business, the, the urgent business that I had that kept me from the feast. I was stuck over a line or two and was thinking about them, but now I don't suppose I shall ever get them right. I think, by the way, that... Um, uh, Bilbo is also engaging in a little bit of uh, constructive, preemptive sabotage here, right? Um, notice how he is already contextualizing the performance that I'm sure he knows he's going to give later on, right? Um, he is context. He has said, "I was in the middle of making up. I've just, I've been sitting here, just kind of." Making some stuff up, right? Yeah, I've kind of tossed off a few lines. I uh, was in the middle of that. Right There's one or two lines, though, that I'm not quite sure about. So you notice what he's done? He's contextualized the poetry performance he's going to give later on as a, a practically extemporaneous performance, right? So if it doesn't go well, it can be like, well, I was just making this up during the feast, right? And then he also says, yeah, there's some... I was stuck over a line or two and was thinking about them, but now I don't suppose I shall ever get them right. Right. But yeah, so if there's like big flaws in my in the song that I'm gonna sing, well it's your fault, right? And what could be expected under the circumstances, right? It's kind of interesting. And I think here what I'm hearing here is that Bilbo knows that the poem he's gonna recite later is a big deal. Um and it's a big deal not we know that this meter this uh, structure that uh, uh, that Tolkien used in this errantry poem this is the only time he ever wrote uh, in this model. Um, and so, I mean, the piece is a very impressive piece, and it's quite long. Um, pretty sure it's the longest poem. Uh, I know Goadriel's poem seems longer, that's because it's given twice in English and in Quenya, but, um, um, anyway, so he's, um, I think it's pretty clear that Arundel was a mariner is a piece which Bilbo has composed quite carefully for some time and prepared even possibly with this evening in mind, right? Um, but now he's just trying to toss it off, right? As uh, uh, to 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 pass it off as this um, uh, spontaneous piece of versifying that he just did, uh, which is flawed. And now pff, I'll never get that right. Um, um, yeah. 
Yeah, but now I agree, uh, Valori, that stopping in mid-writing is maddening, uh, and uh, Tolkien is probably drawing on personal uh, experience there, no doubt, no doubt. Um, yes, Matt, exactly. It is like the Coleridge Gambit. Um, yes, the Kublai Khan story. Um, but at the same time, this is a kind of thing that we see Tolkien doing all the time, right? Not in exactly uh, these terms, but in this kind of a way. Remember that uh, the number of times that Tolkien introduces a poem that he puts into the text by saying, Aragorn did this, right, with the, uh, with the, the Baron and Luthien poem, right? Uh, where he, he's like, yeah, this is uh, um, hard to render in the common speech, right? So he, he's like, this, is, this was just a clumsy attempt at spontaneous translation on my part. And of course, again, it's an enormously intricate um, English poem, right? So, yeah, I... Um, I and think of when Tolkien as narrator does this too, when he tells us that, you know, this is, you know, something like the song, that, the song that they were singing can't be captured, right? We, we don't, we, but this, this poem is, is like a, a, a glimpse of what they were, of what they were singing, right? We, we've, we've seen this kind of movement before. Um, Bilbo seems to be doing that same kind of thing. Right, exactly that same kind of thing. Um, and by which I conclude, not that he's necess- not that he is self-conscious about the poem that he's going to sing, not that he's insecure about the poem, that, but almost the opposite, actually. From this I conclude that Bilbo must be especially proud of the poem that he's going to sing, right? That's why he's kind of downplaying it in this way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Belongsmond, yeah, the entire books themselves are translation are a translation from the Red Book. Yeah, even even I agree. Even the the very the 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 way that he chooses the story, uh, the 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 story of the story, right? Um, so that this version of the story that we have, the book that we're actually reading, is only a a translation of a copy of a translation of. You know, um, you know, so it's it's so far removed from like the real original, right? Which would have been so much better than this, right? So any flaws that this story might have, or any bits of the novel that you know the 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 book that you're reading, which doesn't uh, appeal to you, you know, it's pro- just forgive the you know the modern compiler who did the best he could, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, yes, JJ, it's the reverse of the Princess Bride, which had to be condensed to the good parts. Yes. <laughs> yes, and I have to admit, it's one of the things in the frame story of the Princess Bride, the book, not the movie, um, which uh, I find... And actually, JJ, until you just said that, I didn't even realize it. But you've exactly put your finger on one of the things that always felt awkward to me about that. Um, because I'm expecting the Tolkien move, right? To have uh, to have him say the original was terrible, <laughs> right? And needed to be uh, and needed to be 
uh, uh, livened up and, and uh, uh, you know, just the good parts put in, um, you know, put, put, I mean, it's funny, but it strikes me as strange in that way. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, Matt, it is like the, the medieval humility trope. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that, it was, that, of course, was very common. Um, and I think that we can see Bilbo doing a similar thing here. It's not exactly the same. Again, he's, he's sort of contextualizing it, um, uh, preparing against failure, right, or against ill reception of the poem that he's going to be doing. But like I said, to me, this betrays the fact that he's especially eager um, he's feeling out of perhaps especially what protective of or invested in this poem. Um, anyway, okay. Um, there will be such a deal of singing that the ideas will be driven clean out of my head. I shall have to get my friend the Dunedon to help me. Where is he? Um, Elrond laughingly says he shall be found. Then you two shall go into a corner and finish your task, and we will hear it and judge it before we end our merrymaking. Um, I suspect that Elrond saying we shall hear it and judge it before we end our merrymaking, here again, just in the tone of this whole conversation, I can hear two things there, right? First, I can hear, there's like both a serious and a joking thing that Elrond is doing there, right? The judge it, I think, is teasing Bilbo, right? I think that he, he, he gets what Bilbo is doing. I think he sees through Bilbo here. Bilbo has said, oh yeah, I was just making up some lines and they're not very good and I still need some help, but, you know, whatever. Maybe I'll, give, you know, toss them out later and see what you think, right? Elrond's not buying it. Elrond, I think, knows Bilbo too well for this. And so he says, oh, we shall hear it and judge it. Right. Uh, so, like, no, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to increase the pressure. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm not going to let you get away with that. Like, oh, yeah, no, this is just extemporaneous. Right. Yeah, we'll judge it. We'll judge it. Um, but also, I think at the same time that he's he's teasing him by sort of reversing that deflection of pressure, right? Um, I think that he's also acknowledging that this is a big deal to Bilbo. He sees this. He knows this, right? Um, he knows... He's He hears what Bilbo is saying. Bilbo is saying... Bilbo really means I have prepared a special poem that I think quite a lot of uh, and I want to share it with you guys tonight. And Elrond is saying, great, we look forward to hearing it, right? While both of them are, neither one of them being serious, right, in the things that they're actually saying about it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um Yeah, Mike, I agree. If there's no teasing tone there at all, the judge it feels weird, right? Like, seriously? Is that how we act at Rivendell? Like, yeah, you can 
Well, join us, right? Sing a song, but we're gonna like hold up cards afterwards. Be like, oh, that was only an eight point seven. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it does feel weird. But again, I think in the context, there's been so much teasing going on. That's definitely how I, uh, um, how I, how I hear it there. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, Bruinier, I definitely think that. Elrond has become hobbit-like in his teasing. Yeah, or at least he he knows how to relate to Bilbo. He 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 connects with Bilbo this way. Um, so Biotrom says, "I get why Bilbo would say my friend the Dunedain, but why does the narrator say Bilbo's friend and not Aragorn? The narrator clearly knows who Bilbo's friend is. Um, I think this is we have seen this happen before, right? Where even Frodo as narrator is trying to convey the experience, not just tell what happened, but to try to convey the experience of being there, right? And his experience, Frodo's experience, is one of surprise a couple times, right? First he's surprised by Bilbo, and he's going to be surprised when Bilbo's friend shows up and it's Strider, right? Um, so he... as So the narrator says to find Bilbo's friend um, because Frodo doesn't hear whom they're going. Or doesn't hear anything, you know, d- d- doesn't hear Aragorn's name. Um, and he's going to be surprised. And so our surprise is also preserved uh, in that way. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> is... Is Bilbo being JJ's asking? Is Bilbo being afforded a particular honor here, or is it open mic night in Rivendell? Both, I think. Um, it is. I mean, I, I assume that the Hall of Fire is sort of um, uh, open mic, an, an open mic kind of situation. Um, but I think that again, by saying we will hear it and judge it in addition to teasing him, right, and implying they're going to be really harsh, uh, uh, you know, and we, we're, we, we're going to put in our, put, put on our, our, our sternest, you know, uh, uh, poetic criticism um, uh, expressions when, when you're speaking. In addition to that, he's also saying, we're, we're going to pay special attention. Like, when, it, when, it, when you want to do your poem, you've got the floor. Right, I think is also another thing, and again, that seems to me very complimentary uh, on uh, on Frodo's part. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, Now, a couple of people were saying that it seemed a little bit odd that Frodo um, uh, that Frodo's not more curious. He doesn't ask. Uh, he's not like, hey, who's this Dunedon you're talking about? Right? Um, who's your friend? Uncle Bilbo? Um, I don't know. I think... Um, Yeah. Um, 
again, explaining why Frodo doesn't ask about it, I'm not really, I mean, he doesn't seem to ask about it. Um, it seems, based on what's going to start happening in the next paragraph, that is, Bilbo's going to be pumping him for news. So I think it could be quite as simple as Bilbo doesn't really let him get much of a word in edgewise, or, you know, Bilbo kind of dominates the conversation after this. And yeah, crownless Frodo would probably assume that it's an elf he hasn't met. Um, why not? Right. First of all, he would. He doesn't parse the name enough to figure out who it must be, but he surely recognizes that it's Elvish, right? So it's not like it's super suspicious. Um, uh, but in any case, yeah, it's also pretty clear that Bilbo is immediately going on with the conversation. So even that sentence, messengers were sent to find Bilbo's friend, though none knew where he was or why he had not been present at the feast, seems to me like a a kind of, not necessarily some, I mean, you could almost, one could almost think just reading that sentence that Bilbo and Frodo are sitting there quietly waiting as messengers are sent, right? And, And they're finding out, they're hearing back that nobody knows where he was and why he wasn't there at the feast. Probably that's not happening, right? That's something that maybe Frodo is peripherally aware of, that somebody is sent off, right? But he's focused on Bilbo. He's had, what, five minutes of conversation with Bilbo after being apart from him for 17 years. Uh, He's still really focused on Bilbo, and Bilbo's going to be asking questions and updating him about what's been going on with him, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, None knew where he was or why he had not been present at the feast. Um, There's an irony here, I think, which only kind of comes out later. And Bilbo, uh, it's going to come out explicitly when Strider shows up. But I think we can already begin to view it approaching, right? And that is... Bilbo says he wasn't at the feast because he had more important things to do, right? And his more important things to do were sitting and thinking about this poem that he's going to recite later on. Um, Strider is not at the feast because he actually has urgent business to do, which is actually urgent, which is both actually business and also actually urgent. Um, And I think that he is going to tease Bilbo about the difference between their respective forms of business, which keep them away from feasts. Um, But, uh, yeah, stored past, that's a great question, and I don't know. Um, Do we understand, he asks, um, that many at Rivendell weren't at the feast, or that Aragorn really stuck out by not being there? My impression is the latter. We don't know for sure how many, you know, like, it's, 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 is everybody there? Is it a feast just for the, um, you know, out of what, the great and the good, you know, uh, Matt, as you said, um, uh, or is everybody sort of expected to be, is it a really communal thing there at Rivendell and everyone is expected to be there? So the fact that Aragorn's not there is weird. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure, of course, The impression that I get is the latter, because why he had not, like, the fact that nobody knows where he is or why he had not been present at the feast suggests that they find it, so they think there must be a reason, right? Um, They're not being like, oh yeah, he wasn't around, was he? 
right? Yeah, oh, that's right. I haven't seen him today. Um, they, um, there's, it seems to be implied that there should be a particular reason for him not to be there. Um, and yes, Green Great Dragon, I agree, earlier on, it was pointed out that Elrond's sons weren't there. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. Exactly. We know that they weren't there. So we know that there is not a 100% attendance, but again, I think they probably, they had the same business Aragorn had, right? So, um, they were doing other things, not just they weren't showing up. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and exactly, Storied Pass. Those are the two things that I have no idea how to answer. How many elves actually live in Rivendell and how many people are there at the feast. We know there are several tables, um, so I assume a fair number of people. Um, yeah. Where would he have uh, sat? at the feast. Would have been awkward. A little bit awkward in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, <laughs> um, I, I, I think that Arwen and Aragorn are definitely an open secret uh, at this point. I don't think there's much secret about it. Um, certainly not in the family. Um, it is quite plain that both, and we know that Elrond knows, and we know that her brothers know, right? Um, uh, what with the standard and everything. So, yeah, I, I, I think Brillionaire, yeah, it's only, it's only like the hobbits and the readers who don't know about Arwen and Aragorn. Um, uh, so yeah, Bricktails is suggesting that Elrond has said to Aragorn that you have to sit at the kids' table until you have the crown of Gondor and the scepter of Arnor, uh, something like that, something like that. Um, yes, the newcomer hobbits. Absolutely, I'm not talking about, I'm not including Bilbo in that. He obviously knows. Um, and it's true that Tolkien didn't know until near the very end as well. Very, very true. Um, but 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 again, I, I think it's I it. I don't think that um, there's any concealment of it. I think everybody in Rivendell knows uh, what's going on with Arwen and Aragorn. I don't think it's a secret at all. Um, but I do think um, that uh, it would have been... It certainly would have been a an item of comment from Frodo, Right. Had would they have been seated seated together at the feast? I assume they would be seated together at the feast. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. You know, I don't think that you know Elrond is saying you two are to have nothing to do with each other. You know, I don't think that he's pulling a Father Francis on them, right, and saying I want you to have no further contact with my daughter until after you have achieved the crown of Gondor and the scepter of Arnor, he's saying, you can't marry until then. I will not, I will not give away my daughter to you. So he's saying, you like, they've chosen each other. They have, they're betrothed to each other. But he's saying, there's only one circumstance under which you can marry. And that is 
once he's king. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, exactly, Edith. That's 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 precisely the uh, the situation there. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, exactly, Kate. He didn't, for instance, uh, put Arwen up a tree and lock her there, right? There's precedent for that kind of thing, right? He doesn't... Th- so, yes, there, there's no... Um, uh, I mean, he, he kind of did stick her up a tree in the sense that he sent her to Lothlorien, but that's totally different. Um, yes, I mean, there is... Pre- we, we, we know how... Elvish fathers react when they are trying to forbid their daughters having anything to do uh, with their scruffy-looking human suitors, right? Uh, and that has to do with incarceration and trees. So, um, so yeah, no, we, we, we do not see um, uh, Elrond acting like Thingol here. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, and it certainly would have given the game away much earlier for Aragorn to have been at the feast, right? Um, his position at the feast, he certainly would have been at the head table, uh, and uh, probably next to Arwen. And again, Frodo would be asking questions, right? Um, uh, so the so that seems to me to be Tolkien preserving the surprise for us uh, for one more step here. Um, okay, let's see. I think that's all I wanted to emphasize here. Um, but I think I'm going to stop there because we're starting to get late and it's field trip time. So I want to do our field trip now rather than starting another uh, slide at this hour. Um, yeah, cool. Okay, so that was very good. Thanks for your help with our uh, our textual discussion here tonight. Um, this was good, making strong progress now, uh, working our way towards the poem. Um, uh, so uh, uh, so that's good. So we'll have a little bit more discussion. We'll get to meet Strider again and, and uh, 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 do the whole reveal on the Dunedon thing. And then, of course, we will finally get to the poem. So thanks, everybody, uh, for joining me for the discussion. Stick around for the field trip. Um, I'm going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter, as usual, here. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, to folks in the Talon. And we will be... Uh, and I'll be switching it, but I'll still be going on Twitch with our, with our field trip. So, thanks, everybody. All right. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Okay. All right. So we are headed back to Kellendim, and what we're wanting to explore was... So now, Valoria, you were not here last field trip, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, no problem. So we're going to sh- so head out to Kellendim and then head north from there, so you guys can all join us here. Uh, we're going to explore the north-central regions of the Arid Lewin place. We're, we're, we're moving from, like, the Elvish side of things over to the Dwarvish side of things, um, but not quite to the Dwarves yet, because there are some very interesting ruins that I want to explore up there. Um, in particular, we think we found... My, my theory last field trip was that we actually found a relic of 
first age humans. <laughs> and not just your standard swirly pattern rocks like in the uh in the um um barrow downs and stuff. I don't mean relics of ancient humans who might have been from some indeterminate early time. I mean like men in the Silmarillion. Like proper. Proper first age men, yeah. Like actual from a concrete time and place. Not just the unknown ancestors of who knows whom. Oh, so don't tell me those are the spooky boys up there uh, near the spiders, right? That's the area. That's the area, though I'm not convinced. Well, it's it's so let's see if we we'll see if we can recreate this here. Okay. So we're meeting in Calendim, and we're going to ride up the road here. All right. Okay. Let's see. Most yeah. people arrive here with us now. All right. Yeah, I think so. So head back up the road. So the uh, I got to... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, Just no, in relating to the reading tonight, it's always... You know, I remember as a kid thinking Elrond was like, oh, cool, so mystical, so wise, so... So, like, you know, almost like Gandalf, but more serious. And then here he is just being a bro. Yeah. Bilbo, and they got, like, the sort of Benedict Beatrice banter going on. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's it's really, it's really classic. I mean, he, he, Bilbo and, El, and Elrond do seem to talk at least like Bilbo and Gandalf talk. Um, yeah. If not like Frodo and Merry talk. And that's yeah, seriously it, cool. Uh, yeah, it is cool, and it, it definitely shows a different side of Elrond, where he's not imposing. He's he's you know he's poking fun at the fact that Bilbo is is passively boasting about how awesome he is by pretending, oh, I'm not all that, except I totally think I am. <laughs> right, right. And Elrond's I'm not like, going I'm to I'm say that this up. poem I'm going to recite is awesome, but this poem I'm going to recite is pretty but awesome. Yeah. Is pretty awesome. Yeah, and Elrond's like, great, we're, we're taking notes. I have my scorecard ready. Yes, And exactly. uh, my list of words that Bilbo uses far too often, bingo card. Right, and then, of course, it turns out to be a poem about a Arendel on top of all of this, you know? I mean... Cheeky, cheeky. Cheeky, indeed, right? But, but again, yeah. not, you know, it, it's funny because, of course, uh, you know, that's the phrase that, well, it's not going to be Aragorn, it will be Bilbo who will use that phrase, uh, characterizing Aragorn's attitude. But, um, uh, but still, the point is, uh, he... Um, we're set up for that, right? I mean, like that that it is cheeky because that's like very much the relationship that they that they have <laughs> to Martin is suggesting that Elrond and Bilbo tweet memes at each other. Um, oh God, yeah, they, they no, sure would. I, I'm they sure, sure they would. would. Absolutely sure that they would. They tag each other, going "diss you," you know. It's yeah. Like, Rem- but remember that all of the descriptions of Elrond, both the description of Elrond that we get in the Hobbit. And the description of Elrond that we just got sitting at the table emphasized the way in which he is this mixture of 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 things, right? That he it's is dichotomy. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> he is this. He is this dichotomy. Um, 
And uh, let's see, where's my pillar? Where'd it go? Oh, there it is. Dying. Yeah, yeah, okay. that is. Well, um, but I also, I also like how it implies so much shared history already. We already have a joke about Bilbo falling asleep. We already have a joke about maybe Bilbo being too sensitive about criticism. We already have right. this joke that, you know... That about maybe Bilbo not being prepared or something like that. So and you know the the whole little you know Jack Torrance the Shining. How dare you interrupt me while I'm writing thing? Right, right. That they right. must have gone on a long time. It's just it already implies they've had so much history. Just yeah. No, I mean he's been living there for 17 years now, which you know from Elrond's perspective might not be very much, but it certainly is from Bilbo's perspective. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, no, I agree, and and really, kind of looking at that whole thing in that context is is really is really important. But again, people tend to forget the other half of Elrond. Like he's not only um, venerable, he's also kind. You know, uh, he's he is not just um, uh, he's not just solemn. He's not just. Um, you know, great and famous and ancient and wise. He's also fun. He's also friendly. Um, yeah, it wasn't aloof. It started off at this playful master, master bit. Yes. Doctor, 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 <laughs> doctor kind of thing. And then it turned into, hey, you, hey, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this was this was where we kind of started last time. And uh, we yeah. went up to the ward spire. Uh, anyway, so um, the... Uh, which was totally dwarvish, by the way, the ward spire, totally dwarvish. Uh, and the city, the town across the, the river that you can see from there, totally Arnorian, uh, classic Arnorian. Huh. Uh, so the Dunedain had a little... And my theory about that was that that was like a family manor, like it was not a, like a major city. It was a, it was a, a little, you know, little... Like village, Downton Abbey. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, a little little homely house uh, on the river that was um, uh, made by the Dunedain in the uh, in some of the Dunedain in in the, the, the summer yachting island. house. Absolutely. Yeah. This, however, what is this? Okay, so this was the theory. First of all, the first thing to notice about this is that it is an obelisk. It is not a ruin. Right. This is not a pillar. This is not a piece of a house or a broken down bit of tower. This is an obelisk. This is a memorial. Right. Um, A a marker or memorial of some point, uh, you know, of of something, not a practical structure of any kind. Right. Yeah. So who is making a memorial here? And there's I don't think it's. It doesn't show, it doesn't bear the marks of being obviously dwarvish. It doesn't bear the marks of being obviously elvish. Um, so I'm thinking that it's human, especially since we have humans who obviously were here because we've got those burial grounds right over there that we can see. Right. Yeah. Even though they don't uh-huh. have stonework like this. Right. Yeah. So my theory was. My theory was that um, this spot down in the southern area, because of, okay, let's, let's let's mapify again. So if we uh-huh. open the map and we expand the map, okay. So so the Blue Mountains here are uh-huh. the southern part of the range of the Blue Mountains from the Silmarillion, and we know that yeah. uh, that Linden 
where Gilgalad was, this last bit of Bolarian that's left here on yeah. the other side of the mountains, was part of Assyrian in the First Age. Back yeah. if, you, if you imagine the Silmarillion map. So that bit is like from the bottom right-hand corner of the Silmarillion map. Okay? Yeah. This Which is the means... direction the men were coming from. Exactly. Because, of course, they cross over into Assyrian first when Finrod Felgen finds them, and they, of course, famously meet the unfriendship of the Green Elves. Right? So my theory was, therefore, that this obelisk, that this place was the place where the men like the people of Marach and stuff came and camped here for a while before they crossed over the mountains. Gotcha. And they lived here for long enough to build burial grounds, right? But the burial grounds, as we'll see, let's go see the burial grounds. I'm going to jump off the cliff and into the water here. Um, Why you do that? Sorry, that was an accident. Uh, But anyway, um, uh, so, yeah, so... What we saw when we were looking at the, we we looked up at one of the of this this gravesite over here, and we saw all these like sort of peculiar standing stones, which don't look the same as like the Barrow Downs, right? None of this looks the same, and there's almost no markings at all, like sigils or symbols or any kind of pictorial representations on any of the the clothing or armor or weapons of the of the dead in through here. Um, and doesn't there's, mean there were never any. No, though, doesn't mean there weren't ever were. any. This one was the most interesting one that we found because it has the. I can't get up the hill. It, there we go. It has that white obelisk in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely imported. Exactly. Whereas the rest of it is more native stone. So, but all of this looks very different from the Barrow Downs, say. Right, we don't yeah, get any yeah. any of those just, like swirly patterns. No carvings. No barrows, even exactly. This is a cairn. Yes, this does appear to be a cairn, and we see even what looks like like stone sarcophagi here. Um, and there's this one weirdo fishhook symbol that I can't make much of. Um, uh, where, where, where? On this side, the face, the north side of the obelisk. Oh, okay, okay, okay. White obelisk here. Um, it doesn't only... look like our our fish hooks from our black Numenorians. No, it's no, a different... no, nothing like that. Now, notice this was like which looks like white marble. Um, uh-huh. The obelisk here is cut crudely. I mean, it's not very neat. The obelisk is certainly uh, the green obelisk over there. Uh, rep- yeah, would yeah. seem to represent a, a higher level of technology than this white obelisk. But yeah, could, well, of course, marble gets banged up so much, too. That's also true. It could have been, it could be damaged, exactly. It might have been neater at one point. In fact, well, you could argue... Well, the bases. Yes, exactly. The base is very neat, and the sides are quite flat. So perhaps it is meant to just be broken off rather than crude uh, in, that, uh, uh, in that sense. Or the stone as it was is significant because that's how it was at some particular time when someone was struck down. Or this was, you know, after something was struck by lightning, it was deemed sacred. So the rock itself was imported as a sacred item. Sure. And only a base was given to it to keep it from falling over. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, This natural stone, that is the stone which seems to be native to the area here... um, these aren't 
necessarily. Maybe they're carved. Not sure if they're carved or not. Um, um, yeah. But uh, but anyway, that you know, that this doesn't seem to be. Um, other than a, a general star design, there doesn't seem to be much um, representative art here. But anyway, so I'm thinking it could be the same people did the obelisk and who did this, but that, like, you know, their funerary practices are different from their memorial practices over here. Um, it is also possible that that obelisk is raised as a, at a later time by somebody else in order to commemorate the fact that this was their place. Like, they know that this is the place of the humans because the tombs are here, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Look how far some of these come down the slopes, too. It does make me wonder if at one point they were standing up and then just gravity started to push them out. Oh, why they're, why they're tilted like that? Yes, there are. Yeah. they are standing stones all the way down the hill here. Is but they're the, on a hill, which yes. implies that, gra- you know, after centuries or millennia, the, the gravity is going to do some work on them and sort of shift them. Is this a road? Down the hill. What road? Is this a road? No. Trying to see if this is a road that you're supposed to. It feels like more like a slalom course than it feels like a road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not. I just wanted to see if it was maybe an old road with standing stones on either side of it as a a way up to the. Um, oh, like a a guide marker kind of thing. Okay. Oh, excellent. So, uh, Deathman is quoting some quest text. So there's a, there's a, the, the quest that sends you up to the white marble pillar there, uh, is you're supposed to be finding a sword and the dead dude says, in ages past I honored my fallen companion with a sword placed at his grave amongst the mounds of the Edain. It may be, so they're called the Edain, which is interesting. The Edain. It may be yeah. that the sword can yet be found in that place. It bears the motto Elvalon, or Elf Friend, in the tongue of men. Perhaps if you find the sword, it will convince young Kellerink not to spurn my gift, right? Okay. Um, so, Elf Friend. Yeah, that is interesting. So that eh, would seem to, uh, well, I won't So the snaky fish hook means Elf Friend? No, not the snaky fishhook. The name of the sword means elf friend. Oh, the name of the sword. Could okay. the snaky fishhook mean it? I maybe, but I don't know. See what's when I see what's over here in the next hill. Okay, so here I am. Yeah, Slytherin grave. Big old standing stone. Oh yeah, here we go. Another white marble. Anything on this side? No. Nope. Very smooth though. This one is. That one's not rough-hewed at all. And it's the very base smooth, is but it's also by... got corners or flat yeah. sides. It's not. Look, the base isn't carved. It's made by layered, almost stones arranged like bricks on this side. Yeah, let's see. Okay, good. Uh, Trifle is uh, giving us some more quest text from a different quest. My friend Galti doesn't believe me. He claims there are no Barrowites out among the old Edine mounds, but he's been no further than the mounds near Gondaman, and those don't seem to be haunted at all. It's only the mounds off a ways to the northeast. And uh, later on, if whites stir the bones of the ancient Edine 
then an evil has arisen in these mountains which we should all fear. Okay, so the ancient Idain, yeah, that would seem to... Yeah, no, yeah, wait till you get to some of the carvings on this side. Right, because, okay, so now I'm just, I, I know there's a ruin over there which I'm keen to get to, but I want to just briefly look at the other grave spots here first. Uh, okay. This one has another central pillar. This one just has a flat, like, altar stone in the middle. Okay, oh, look, and here's another white pillar, another white marble oh, pillar. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So it seems to be the done thing. Okay, and then oh, there's the snake there. again, so that's not a that's not a fluke, that's the snake hook yeah. thing. Hmm. Intriguing. Okay. And this looks well, it looks Arnorian doesn't look especially oh where have we seen those dudes we've seen these dudes where? before oh you're at the, the the ruins itself yes I'm at the uh, ruins I'm at the, I'm on the eastern side of the ruins these are like sarcophagi aren't they where where do we see these we see them in the similar to Baradum. no because those ones had beards ones at the great barrows had beards and these are clean shaven I am sure we've seen these before. I, north I Downs? Think so. Where Maybe. in the North Downs did we see these? Is this Farnost? Did we have something like this in Farnost? Hmm. In the Halls of Night? Wait, I'm forgetting. Which ones were the Halls of Night? So one of those big. Is that a skirmish? In the, uh, on the way to the North Downs from Esteldeen. We didn't see anything like this up in the north of the Trollshaws, did we? In the, you know, undead area. Yeah, no, I don't think there was anything like this, because that was a leisure palace, it wasn't a burial ground. Yeah. I'm not seeing... Have you seen any, any? Have you seen any Arnorian stars? Oh well, I guess we can get up there then. I just saw somebody yeah, ride yeah. out onto the steps. How do we get up? Around the back? Yeah, around the back. Yeah. Or we have to go up the hill. I forget which. Oh yeah. Oh, nope, nope, nope. Here we come. Plenty of room up the back. Excellent. Up the hill. Okay. So, oh, and there is a keystone in that arch. Oh no, it's broken off. It was not a star though. No, look, look, there's like some sort of holy relic over here. It looks like an ark. There's an, they have an ark? Yeah. Right where I'm at. Inside, inside. Oh, whoa. And, uh, whoa. Yeah. You have an ark. Look at that. La, 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 la. <laughs> Sorry, my brothers and I would sing that every time we watch Indiana Jones, we'd start singing <laughs> ARC music. Um, I have a weird thing. Oh, so, so by the way, look like Amali says, um, Amali says that uh, the, the thing on the white obelisk is not a, a snake, it's a plant. 
Uh, so it looks like a snake, but if you look closer, it's a tree or at least a branch. I can easily believe that. Branch of a tree. Okay, like like a tendril kind of thing? I'd yeah, have to look at it again. But... vine-ish? Anyway, so I'm just looking at arches and trying to find anything, because, you know, up here on the keystones of arches are a place, of course, where we traditionally find stars, but... See, but this design looks so Arnorian. I mean, look at this. The the arches, right? The arches uh-huh. and the brickwork. Yes. And it looks like what we've seen pretty much through all of Brie. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a little sigil at the top of these. Can't see what it is, though. Hmm. I'm noticing three three chisel marks on each side too. Like number three is important, or the number six is important. Yeah. Yeah. Dreadful. It does look like Esteldine. That's what I was thinking. Now, am I right in recalling that at Esteldine? No, there were stars there. Yeah, there were. There were stars there. So, well, here's the big question, which I'm having a hard time drawing conclusions about. And that is, is this a human ruin or not? I think it's definitely human. What kind of human is what makes me curious? Because I, I, I haven't seen any dwarf architect, dwarven architecture that looks like this. But then we haven't really looked at dwarf architecture. Not it's too not much, but yeah, it doesn't look particularly dwarvish to me at all. The arc, I'm not too worried about the arc. Yeah. I'm not too worried about the arc here. It is cool, but it's also modern. I mean, that's clearly not ancient. I mean, somebody else came and put this arc here. So this is like Raiders of the Found Arc, really. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, that does not look ancient. Um, This This is the warehouse they stuck it in. Now that is particularly interesting. The oh. the swirlies there. Yeah, very. That's the most barrow down looking thing we've seen here. Yeah. Are these what look like the what, like the plinths for statues, basically, or something? With no statues um, on. It, it looked like the the squat men down below us, the right. sort of sarcophagus yes, guy do. or something like that. I'm noticing the same swirlies, and I just think it's really interesting though that even though it's the same design, the men looked so drastically different on those sarcophagi than they did in the Northern Downs yes. where they had more of a the the beardy Nordic uh, bullet head uh, helmet kind of look mm-hmm. to it. Well, these the ones down here are clean shaven and have different armor and different everything so like yeah. which came first but it's the same style yeah yeah sorry just looking at them again here oh yeah and you get the swirlies down there yep you're right and on their wrists but no beards and different helmets mm-hmm mm-hmm We didn't see them in Angmar, did we? Not these. It feels like ages since we abandoned Angmar, but... Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> we'll go back someday, but... Um, I, I think those were very much 
the the barrow down looking though because I do recall the, yes. the sort of Celtic beard and hair combo. I've never yeah. seen him clean clean shaven. This is the only clean shaven I've seen. Yeah. It could be an older structure rebuilt and reused in a later age, Matt. That does seem possible, especially since there do seem to be two different, at least two different kinds of stone used yeah. here. So that would be consistent with that, you'd think? Definitely it feels like the, the sort of Brie architecture is the newer stuff that's built over the old mm-hmm. stuff. Even if they're both crumbling, it implies they've both been here forever. And it feels kind of Arnorian, but it's not exactly Arnorian. Yeah, not, none of the Arnorian symbols, probably pre-Arnorian, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would think he would be pre-Arnor. But again, maybe if, as Matt was suggesting, it was sort of built back up again in a later time, uh, even during Arnor. Right, they might have sort of kept the original feel of it or something. But why'd they issue the star? Don't know. Don't know. You'd think they would put it on even if they were building it up after the fact. Even if they, they were the, preserving they, some of the original elements. They put the star on like they're getting paid every time yeah, they show up. And it really is everywhere. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. But if this was where, but this is small. This building is really kind of a tiny building. Um, Outpost. Well, it's another thing. So. When we're talking about the ancient Edain, right? If we're thinking about the ancient Edain, that is to say, you know, the men when they were first coming west and before they crossed over the Blue Mountains, um, they did that in like large hordes, you know? Uh-huh. Um, this building certainly wouldn't have been, certainly wouldn't have housed them. It's way too small. No. Um, And why build over a burial site? I'm thinking it was originally a burial place, maybe. Maybe a more important burial place built up maybe on some this. Kind of, mu- yeah. kind of museum, like someone was visiting their ancestors and decided to put a building here to... Well, that's exactly what I'm thinking as far as the later structure that would have been put up, right? So let's imagine... The, the the main brickwork and arches and all that stuff, right? Uh-huh. Imagine this site without any of that. Because that's what looks Arnorian. That's what looks like it's, you know, second age. Yeah. Right? Or third age. Is what I mean. That's yeah. what looks third age. So let's imagine it without the third age stuff at all. What do we have here? We have this black rock platform, right? So this this base here, which is clearly not part of the construction, but something the building was constructed around. This would have been yeah. here. That staircase wasn't here. This other thing wasn't here. So these tombs 
These would have been tombs or sarcophagi placed up against the side of this platform, right? It's almost like the guards watching their king. Maybe. And then we go up on top of the platform, the stone, big stone platform here. And what do we get? We get these things. Maybe also other sarcophagi, other memorials. We get this thing. Again, I'm not too convinced about the Ark itself, because that looks modern. Um, but the structure around it yeah, is the housing around old. it. Yeah, so the housing is An so, altar. Yeah, so this altar was built up here on the flat. Those tombs or pedestals were built up here on the flat. I'm a little bit a unclear about these. Yeah, a temple. This I could easily see. A temple nope. with people, with dead people buried in here or around. It's not just a mound like the other places, which you can see from here. Um, yeah. And yes, I do think that this stone is more like the stone that we see in some of the obelisks. Okay, so you've got this ancient, the, re- the remnants of this ancient temple especially important burial ground, right? And then now it's the Third Age. Now you've got the Dunedain who have come back and they find this place and they say we're going to build I don't know what, a structure? A house? Uh, you know, we're a, a hall. We're going to build a hall around this, what, to preserve, to commemorate um, this place that they would have perceived as an important or holy spot to their ancient mm-hmm. ancestors. Right? It was not, a temple, yeah. yeah. Not like these, which is just a burial mound, right? Yeah. Burial mound or cairn. Um these they found around here in plenty too, but they would have noticed that there was this area back here was singled out in some way by the sarcophagi, by the altar, what seems clearly an altar on the inside. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was like a, an attempt to restore an old church that might have right. rotted away. Now, this still doesn't explain why, if they were Numenorians, they didn't put stars up like they were going out of style. Um, <laughs> exactly as you suggested. Could it post-date the original inhabitants, but still predate the Third Age Numenorians? Maybe, I mean, we know so little about this region um, during yeah. that time, especially. Like, during the Second Age? Um, yeah. I don't know. It's almost like we'd have to, I think we'd have to go much further, much further east to look at other uh, man-made buildings to ascertain that. Yeah. 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 Well, so I'm just thinking of, because even in the Second Age, if it, thinking of the Second Age in this region, there are two choices. Right, one would be Numenorians who had returned and were having bases along the coast. Right, 
Uh-huh. Um, and this, of course, is very near to Linden, you know, just upstream from Linden. So it wouldn't be strange. And we saw what looked like the memorial, you know, we, we were imagining is the memorial of where, you know, uh, uh, where Elendil first landed. Uh-huh. Um, but the other option, of course, is that it's another, you know, some of the the non-Edine humans, right? Yeah. Um, exactly, Matt. The other men who predate the Numenorians and live on past their arrival. Um, yes, exactly. So there could have been... So, so actually, yeah. So it could be still a third age structure if these non Because now the non-Numenorians living here... Again, looking at the big map, right? Yeah. We know about the non-Numenorians in Breland. Yeah. Um... And you know we did a lot of uh, we did a lot of examination of that, but there's a big difference between out here back in the old days of pre-Civil War Arnor. The center of everything was up at Anuminus, uh-huh. up in the corner, right? Um, so Breland was kind of the sticks, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was really kind of the middle of nowhere, whereas this area up here, just north of where Kalandim will later be built, uh, uh, and Thorin's Hall, is quite near to Linden, right? Yeah. And so you've got to think that there was, you know, a lot of traffic to and fro between Linden and Anuminus here, um, that would have gone up the River Loon. So. Anyone who lived here would be in a different kind of relationship, it seems to me, with the Numenorians, um, you know, with the Arnorians, I should say, even than the Brelanders were. And the Brelanders were all engulfed, right, by Arnorian stuff. But again, Bree is sort of a bad da- data point in that way, because during the time of the Arnorian civil wars, Breland was close to the epicenter, right, where the three primary Dunedain lands all met. So, yeah, suddenly they weren't the sticks anymore. <laughs> yeah, suddenly they are not the sticks anymore. As the theater shifts, the Arnorian theater shifts from Anuminous exclusively, not exclusively, but primarily to Fornost and to the warring um, uh, the, 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 the warring factions. So hmm it does make me wonder about the river trade here, but it also implies that any other civilizations that have been out here were built as, as temporary lodging places, some place that was either packed up or rotted away over the years, because the only building that has survived is this temple. Yeah, well, maybe. But see, I, I'm not sure I can imagine them just camping out here amongst the barrows of the ancient dead. Well, they built an obelisk, too, to say, here I am. But Well, to, or to say, here they were, right? Um, yeah. So what if... What if they were second-age men who got... What if they were second age men? Okay, so imagine when the Adine crossed the mountains into Assyrian and encounter the unfriendship of the Green Elves. Uh-huh. Some of them stay over here, right? 
Sure. So some of them stay over here, and that's who built the barrows and stuff. And that's who built okay. this temple originally. Yes. But like their ancestor, their ancestor, their descendants stay over here in this region. In later years, their descendants would have... Now, by the Third Age, I'm, I'm thinking, by the Third Age, the descendants of those people would have been... Because they're kind of on, you know, Arnorian... They're really close to the Arnorian main center here. Um, I think that they would have been kind of absorbed into Arnor uh-huh. uh, at that point. But um, in the Second Age, yeah, in the Second Age, they still could have been independent but influenced by the Dunedain, right? Because they would not sure. have been far from things, that, places where the Dunedain would have come, where, you know, where the where the Numenorians would have come so they could have built this. Because I really... The lack of stars really leads me to think it can't be an actual Arnorian construction. And I can't see how something like this would have been built here in the Third Age and have no affiliation with Arnor, even if they were local. Because again, in Bree, right? We see the Arnorian star all over Bree, not in the native architecture, but in the rest of the architecture, which is there, right? Uh, and imposed on it, and I would have expected to see a similar thing, a, a distinctly Numenorean layer here, unless there's a reason why there wasn't, right? Um, unless there's a reason why, because the Numenorians, the Arnorians, never really lived here. But there was a population here in the Second Age. It's just interesting, we haven't seen any of their dwellings. Yeah. No, we've seen very little uh, in the way of ruins. Now, how close are we? Well, I guess we'll have to find out with. Uh, yeah. Find well, out there's... next week if we can find any of their settlements. Yes. We'll continue heading out towards Gondaman next time. But this was an intriguing little ruin this week that we were yeah. exploring. I and think we, we, got through I think more we found a pilgrimage too. site. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very cool. All right. Well, we should let everybody go. It's getting late. Yep. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, Valoria, as always, for your uh, assistance here. And Great to be back. Yeah, we will see everybody next week. Should be back, actually, for some time, I think, through, uh, uh, through September, I believe. So, anyway. God willing. Yeah, God, God, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Good night now. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.